And I'm going to talk a bit about the personality of God. And I'm just going to preach a, a simple love of God message that I've preached years ago. And uh, I'm busy recording a six-month life enrichment course at the moment that will be launched, I don't know when, when it's finished. And um, in this recording, I started from scratch, you know. And in the sixth message that I recorded, I was just talking about the simple love of God. And it blessed me so much. So I thought, man, I need, a, I need to talk about that. And then also I'm going to add in some of the newer stuff that the Lord has revealed to me about who we are in Christ. Uh, because the deepest desire of a human being is to be loved and accepted. That's the deepest desire of any human. You know, and we are not made to function under rejection. You can have 20 people say, you look beautiful. And one say, it seemed to me as if you picked up a bit of weight. <laughs> and then you're going to remember the one and you're going to forget about the 20 others. Because we are beings that are so anti-rejection. We cannot function in the presence of rejection. We can only function optimally in the presence of acceptance. And what we believe determines our life. You know, I've put on, I've put on Lance Armstrong's uh, page there, on, on his Facebook page. I said, the fact that he did, what he did what he did was not Lance doing what he did. It was the fruit of what he believed. His belief brought forth a power in him that he did things he didn't want to do. Because if you go to, go to any man and you ask him, do you want to lie to people? Who wants to lie? No. Do you want to deceive people? No, nobody wants to do that. But he did it. And even in the, in the thing I watched, you know, the interview I had with Oprah, he said, you know, I had such an um, extreme desire to be a winner and to be the best. That doesn't matter what the cost, I'll do. I'll do that. And what killed the guy was... And people around him was what he believed about himself and about life. He believed that having money and being first equals you are good. That's what he believed. He believed winning is everything. That belief destroyed his life. And then I wrote, then I said the very same thing with us today. Lance believed that winning gives you quality of life. Others believe having a lot of money gives you quality of life. Others believe that if you are pretty, you know, looking good means a lot, you know, and is everything. And because of that belief, they've had their faces deformed through plastic surgery, you know, and they, I mean, messed up a lot of their life. You know, not that I say people that have plastic surgery or messed up their life, but you look at some of the stuff that doesn't work out right. No, no. And because of a certain belief. So it's so important that we know that, that we are beings that God desires to be in the presence of absolute love. Because we will do things and act in ways that is not who we really are. We'll be in arguments, we'll be in fights with people and friends, and we will not know why we always get into this fight and this argument and, and all those kind of things. And in the meantime, it is an outflow of our belief. Because we believe certain things. One of the beliefs is, uh, you must always be right. Because wrong equals failure. If you believe that... It's impossible to be in a... You cannot reason normally in any conversation with anybody. If you go on a, a public platforms, you know, like Facebook or any of those things, or any, in any blog and you write, and you see another person that disagrees with you maybe, and you bring scripture and you explain it in depth, you'll find that this person doesn't matter if he is actually wrong, he will continue in his wrong and make it a right in his heart because his belief says wrong equals rejection. Where in the gospel, wrong does not equal rejection. And right doesn't equal acceptance. 
It's like uh, if you take, uh, and I think I mentioned here before, two years ago, two or three years ago when I was in the U.S., I had some time off and I was watching a TV show and they had this thing about uh, uh, how you, old cars that gets restored. And they had this AC Cobra there, which was, and this guy went and bought this AC Cobra. It was in a shed full of dust. The seats were eaten by rats. The wiring was finished. The tires were gone. It was just a mess. But they knew that it was a, a, a very old car, you know, and it had a lot of value. Um, and the guy, I think he paid 60000 or $50,000 for this old beaten up car. And then he started to restore the car. And as they restored it and they took the whole thing apart, they saw a, the, the chassis number punched in on the chassis. And they went and searched what car it was. And it was the first ever built AC Cobra. All of a sudden, the value of that car cannot be determined. It is equal to what whosoever wants to pay. They ask him, how much is it worth? He says, I don't know if it's 5 million or 10 million or 4 million dollars. I don't know. I just drive it and have fun. But the worth, who knows? You must put in an auction and determine it. So, in the, so, so that car, the, uh, um, the acceptance or the rejection of that car can never be determined on the paintwork, by the paintwork, the paint job. What determines the acceptance or the rejection of that vehicle is the chassis number. And the chassis number can never be removed. Even if you grind it out of that car with a grinder, it will still be the first ever built AC Cobra. So when God came and He made man, He said, I put who I am, I write it in the DNA of a human being. A human is the God kind. So your acceptance or rejection before God is not determined by the good or the bad you do, but by your design. The chassis number punched on you. That's why Jesus said, they came to Jesus, they said to Jesus, Jesus, shall we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Then he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. Now, unfortunately, there are some people that say that means you must tithe to the church. That's not what it means. You know, on the, that's what Jesus said. He says, give me uh, the coin. Whose face is on this coin? It says Caesar's. He says, so if you can see the face of someone on it, give to him what belongs to him. And then to God what belongs to God. Now, where was God's face punched on? On mankind. He says, listen, give yourself to God, for God is your kind. You belong with God. So, know this. We, you know, a human being can never function in the presence of rejection. Never. That's why we want to win. That's why we want to be the best. That's why we want to always make sure our clothes are right. That's why all those kind of things. Because we don't want to be rejected. We want to be accepted. But in this world, because all people don't know this truth, and all people don't all the time reason and function from this truth when they relate to you, you're going to be rejected by people. That's why it is of vital importance to find your acceptance in the only truth, which is what God says about you and how God made you. Now we're going to read Acts 17 and um, you know this, this verse that says in Him we live and move and have our being. You know I always sang that song, you know. In Him we live and move and have our being and I was very excited in, in Him we live and move and have our being. Thinking that what that means is I close my eyes, I hear the voice of God and then I do what God tells me. You know having my relationship with God from the foundation of um, well, I just need to, I've decided to listen to Him every day. And ha- in Him I live and move and have, I have my being. But that verse, I realized as I read it uh, two days ago, it means something completely different. And it really blessed me when I got to that revelation. Uh, Acts 17. 
Dan gaan ons, Abrik, ons haar ketel bykie net afsit daar, asjeblief. Vers 23, en ons kan die eerkant bykie aansit daar, kouwer. 17 from verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Moses' hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. Some other translation says, says, I see that you are very religious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar which, with inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, and him I declare unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwells not in temples made by hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needs anything, seeing he gives to all life and breath and all things, and has made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they may feel after him, and may find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stones or uh, uh, graven arts, of or man's devices. So what he was saying here is, he says, listen guys, God came and God made man. And I see you guys in Athens worship many gods. And then you've got one here to the unknown God. And I'm going to talk about him. And I see you guys make these graven images and then worship it. But I want to explain you, explain to you how God made you. And he wants to try and explain now that Jesus is God in human flesh. That's what he tries to do. And he wants to get them away from worshipping these idols. Now this is what he then said. He says, God made everything. So he doesn't need anything. So if you want to, and then he made us. He made us. And when he made us, you know, how can we now go and worship something that's not in line with us? Because one of your own prophets said, that we are his offspring. Meaning, if we look like this, and we are born from him, then he needs to look like us. Trying to get them now to see that Jesus, God became a human being. Okay, that's what he's trying to explain. So what he was saying was, God gave birth to the human being, the human race, and we found our being in him. What that means is, who we are today originates from him, and is like him. So what he was saying here is, if you try to worship a God, at least look at a God that looks like you. I'm not saying worship, worship yourself, but I mean, if I'm going to look at a God that I believe that I originate from, I cannot go and worship something that's outside of human. Or like me, that functions like me. Not that I say, the Bible says God is not a man that he should lie, you know, and, and, and I understand that it didn't mean that God was, does not possess the ability to become a human being. Jesus Christ did become a human being, and that human is seated at the right hand of God. We were invited into the Godhead, for we are the God kind, and we are God's kind of a people. And this is what the Bible says, he placed man on the earth to seek him, so that we could find him. And I want to explain that uh, quickly here. And I'm going to read the Afrikaans. I'm going to try and translate into English. Sorry for those of you that watch via the internet that don't understand the Afrikaans there. It says, So that they die Heere kon soek, en of hulle nie miskien, hom nie miskien kon aanraak, en vind nie. So in other words, what he says, what he says is, he says, literally translated, that we could see God, if perhaps we could not touch Him, or experience Him, and find Him. Now, the way we've always seen uh, seeking God was as if God is gone. You know the joke about the two kids, you know? They came and they said to them, and they were very naughty. And then the one, 
uh, uh, there were three of them. And the one's mom took him to the priest. And uh, he came back and completely changed. So the, the other mom with the twins said, listen, why did your son change like this? No, I took him to the priest and he came back completely changed. And then uh, he says, well, I'm going to take my son to the priest. And went to the priest and the oldest one went in first. And the priest said, son, where is God? And he started running. And the, he grabbed his brother out, out of town on the hill. He said, he says, he says, why are we running? Why are we running? He says, just run, just run. And they run. And he says, eventually they run out of breath. They stop. He says, what's, what's wrong? He says, no, they've lost God and they think it's us. <laughs> you know? So, so God's not gone. That word seek there doesn't mean lost or gone. That word seek there is like um, to have a desire after. To have a craving after him. So what the reason why God made man and placed man on the earth is so that man's desire could be after him and that man could find him. And the best way we can explain that is in relationship. You know, when I look at Helena, I mean, Helena was there and I was, I was there. She, she could, if she didn't want me, I'm sure she could get another guy. And if she didn't want me, I could get another girl. But my desire was after her and her desire was after me. She was actually seeking me. Not that I was gone and I was seeking her and she wasn't lost. We knew exactly where each other were, but we were seeking each other. I hope you understand the word seek there. So God didn't place, God placed man on the earth for this wonderful thing that man could have that I want God, that relationship thing of desire for each other, and then be found by each other. You know, um, those of you that has been married for a while can, uh, can know this. You know, you get married and then you still haven't found each other. And then maybe after 10 years you find each other. <laughs> Some are married for 30 years and go to Jesus and they still not found each other. So the finding here means it's something different than just to, 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 like my watch was gone and I found it now. It talks about finding the very person and the personality of who he is and from there you find your union with each other and from there you find a life that is born from him. The person that I am today is not the same person that I was when we just got married. Good friends of ours uh, came to, to visit us the weekend, and we were just chatting away, and we said, and if we think on the days when we just got married, you know, that first year, and how stupid we were, how we spoke to each other, my goodness, you know, always fighting, arguing. I'm just using an example, I'll never fight with my wife. You know, so, just <laughs> so, yeah, you're just fighting, arguing. And then as time went on, you start to discover who the other person really is. And they discover who you really are, and you find each other. And in finding each other, you find a new life born. A new life born. And that's what God wants. God has never desired to have servants when He made you. He made you, and He was the one that gave birth to who you are. You are the offspring of God. For the sole purpose of having a relationship where you can experience Him and He can experience you. You know, we say, we must seek God. But you know, the Bible says that He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came out of that wonderful love relationship for man to find man. So that, so that, so that He can be found by men. He wants to find man and He wants us to find Him in relationship with Him. So, when it comes to God's love, a very good way of reasoning would be in normal human relationship to understand who God is. If I am the God kind, and I feel loved when I'm accepted, then it's not going to be different between me and God. If I find value in someone not looking at my sin all the time, and looking at me from who I am as being, loving me for who I am and not for what I do, 
then it's going to be obvious if we're the offspring of God, it means we function like Him, that that's going to be true between Him and us as well. That I'm not going to feel loved, if I'm not feeling loved by Helena, if she just looks at my mistakes all the time and want to correct me all the time, then I'm not going to feel loved by God if God looks at my mistakes all the time. It will be impossible to feel loved by Him. If I'm in a relationship with Helena and and I am just there to serve her all day. That's all that, that I'm there for. Or she's just there and all that she must do for me all day is she must make me tea, she must iron my clothes, she must clean the house and just make sure Beth has got a good life. She's not going to feel appreciated. doesn't matter if I buy her the newest car and the best clothes and send her for a hairdo every week. It's not going to make her feel accepted. Now, if that is true between us and we are the God kind, it's going to be true between us and God as well. The moment in our minds we think of God many times, we think of this being that is far from us. He says, listen, God wants you to find Him, but He's not far from you. What that means is, God is so close to us, but the finding there is a revelation and an experience of who He is. And He's not quite different than human. He functions on human terms to a certain degree. I would say onto on a big degree. And unfortunately, we've, our human terms became so warped that we can actually, can't actually say human terms. But God became a human being. His name is Jesus Christ seated at the right hand of God, forever making intercession for us. So, God is completely comfortable with humans. Completely comfortable. There's only one being that functions exactly like God in the universe and in the heavens, and that is humans. God functions from the persuasion of His heart. God functions from belief in someone. God in the Godhead functions on the foundation of the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. And we have been invited into that that we can find and experience that quality of life. That's what Christianity is all about. Jesus Christ didn't come to get to start a new religion to see if He can get more votes for His religion than what Allah can get for His. He's not in competition with any religion. He came to bring the truth and to be found by man. That's what he did. So when we're going to look at John, 1 John, for instance, and I'm going to quote this verse, 1 John 4 says that if God is love and we know him, then we will love each other. So what he's saying there is that God is so much like us and or we are so much like Him, for we are made in His image and in His likeness, that the love that He has for us is such a natural part of who we are and how we function, that if we can experience that love, we will love each other, naturally. That's just the way it's going to be. He says, for God is love. Now, if God is love, there's certain things and certain attributes that he needs to have, which can be explained in human terms, for he's not far from us. We think far from us many times as, as you know, if you take a, 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 a chimp, they say a chimp is not far from a human. That's how you should see far, there. God is not far from us. We are his offspring. A chimp is not even an offspring of a human. Okay? And we are not an offspring of a chimp. Some believe it, feel sorry for them, but it is not so. Okay? We are the offspring of God. He's not far from us. In the very way, same way, that's, that's how, how you, you, it would say like, you, you can say like um, a parrot and an eagle. In a certain way, they are not far from each other, they are both birds. They are close. They are of the same kind. We are of the same kind. We're not far from God. The same kind. So when we're going to look at the terms, love terms in the Bible, we're going to discover the very personality of God. So First John 8 says, God is love. When you are something, it means you don't possess it. Okay? You are that thing. I am a human. I don't possess human. I am a human. 
So if I am upset or angry or even if it doesn't matter what happens to me, if I lose a limb, doesn't matter, I remain human. God is love. He doesn't possess love. He can never lose it. The word love, and, and I've preached it here before, uh, demonstrated in normal human terms, is the word agape, which means to be content with, to see the value of, to be happy with someone. That's when you love someone. Love means to lose your breath over. That's what it means in the Hebrew, the root word. To breathe after, to have a sensual love. To feel after someone else. God is that. God is that. He can never change that. He can never change feeling attracted to you. Never. He cannot change it. He will always be like that. And we need to deal with the fact that that is how He is. He cannot, He can't the one day feel He loves you and the next day not feel He doesn't love you, for He is that love. That's how He is. He, he, he always feels that way. And He wants you to find Him. <laughs> he wants you to find and experience that. God is love. Okay, He, he doesn't possess love. He is that love. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 gives wonderful attributes of love. And if God is love, obviously, these attributes of love can be ascribed to Him. 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm going to read uh, from, from verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge... Does God have the gift of prophecy? Can God prophesy? Yes. Okay. Uh, does God understand all mysteries? Yes. And though I have all knowledge, does God have all knowledge? Yes. You know, everything that God does will not profit Him if He doesn't do it from love. He is love. What profits God is the fact that He is love. He functions. He can never change. He is the agape. Okay? Now it talks about the characteristics of love. It says, love suffers long. So one of the greatest character traits of God is His ability to suffer long. He can never change. He is love and love suffers long. That means God can never be short-tempered. Never. And if we are the God kind, and the way we think and reason as human beings is that, you know, just cut me some slack when I do something wrong, you know, if you love me. That's the language in which we speak because that's our design. Then God can never say He's close to us or our kind if He doesn't function that way. That's the language we understand. That's the language that God speaks. God does not become angry quickly. He suffers long. If we think of our human ability on how, how long we can suffer with something, look at somebody that's got a child that's on drugs. Or let, let's take it, take it, make it even, uh, uh, even more applicable to the gospel. You've got a child that on the age of 10 you realize he's got cancer. When are you now going to have suffered long enough that you just give him over now? Let him just die. I'm not going to help him anymore. If he's got pain, it's his problem. When, when, when's that day? Never. Why? For he is your offspring. And what is in his life, the cancer that's in his life, is a virus. Or something that grows in him that's not supposed to be there. And he's a victim of the sickness, and the sickness wants to kill him. So, are you going to give up on him? Never. You want to save him from what is killing him. Who will ever go into uh, the, the ICU unit where people are about to die of cancer and go in there? I mean, the doctor doesn't go into the hospital and the people dying of cancer in the ICU unit and then he's angry with him because he's got cancer again and he slaps him three times and tells him, why do you have cancer again? No, 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 the cancer wants to grab a hold of him. And that's how God sees sin. God doesn't see sin as something you've done again. He sees sin and He sees uh, uh, all these things, bad things in people's lives as the bad that wants to kill you. Love suffers long. And God is love. Okay? So it can never change. 
And he wants you to find this. He wants you to find him. Love is kind. Man, I, you know, I, I, I printed out the word kind again. Kindness. To be kind. Well, just love is kind. God is love. Love is kind. So if God is love and love is kind, then God is kindness. Can never change. That's how it is. Kindness means the following. It says the temper or personality which delights in contributing to the happiness of others. So if God is kind, who is God? God is the very essence of delighting in contributing to the happiness of others. So when you think of God, you can't think of God outside of the parameters of a being that fully delights in your happiness. And another thing about God, He's not threatened with your joy. Now you go and you say, man, I've, I've been ill for a long time. Thank God. Those of you that were here last time, remember I said I was ill for more than a month. I'm healed. Glory to God. I'm so happy. Sick as young. Mm. I'm healed. Thank you. I think you guys prayed for me. Something happened. I said, if you guys want to go to a good doctor, go there to Yefa. A doctor with some anointing is good, you know. <laughs> he draws blood and you healed. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, um, no, I don't even know what I wanted to say. <laughs> I can't remember now. Okay, let's get back to the definition. So, oh yeah, if, if I'm, if I... If I like cycling and I'm happy with it, now I was ill for a month and a half, I couldn't cycle, but if I, I enjoy it, God's not threatened with the joy that I have in my life. We've so many times taught tradition in Christianity. I remember when Eliana and I, we, we just got married, um, she had this uh, spielkas, I don't know what you call it in English. Yeah, dressing table. Antique, that her father restored for a beautiful thing. And then she was so scared that she likes it too much. Because she likes it too much, she might have to give it away because God wants to be the number one. God, you know, what we were, what we were taught was God's threatened with our joy. No, no, the Bible says God wants to, He is kind. He delights in contributing to your happiness, man. And God knows that stuff can never make you really happy. That's why He gave Himself. That you could be found of Him. And when you are in need of stuff, He also provides for you. So here we sit with a God that it says your, His personality is to contribute to, your, to the happiness of others. How does He do it? Which is exercised cheerfully. In gratifying their wishes, supplying their wants, and lifting their distresses. Kindness ever accompanies love. So what is, the Bible says, that the personality of God is a personality of kindness, man. If you've ever met a person that's got your best interest at heart, and all he wants to do is just give you the best quality of life, which cannot even be defined in where you stay, what you drive, and what you wear. A person that wants to make you so happy that joy lives in you. That you become joyful in your being. It is God. And whatever means He will use in, like for instance here, uh, gratifying your wishes, supplying your wants, lifting your distresses, whatever it could be to do, He'll do it. Through the power of Jesus Christ, He wants you to experience His kindness. He came close to man. We are close to Him by design. We live and move and have our being in God, meaning we are the God kind. That's what that verse means. And God made us, the God is with the God kind, and He wants us to find His kindness. He wants us to find His long-suffering. Anything and any definition outside of that is not God. Okay? 
Let's go on. God is kind. Let me read the definition again. It's so beautiful. The temper, the temperament, the temper or character which delights in contributing to the happiness of others. How? By which is exercised cheerfully. You know, God doesn't come in with a sour face, sits there, and now, okay, well, let me just save these people. I'm God and I'm love, but because I'm love, I'll just save them. Otherwise, I'm not love anymore. No, no. He, with great joy, He does this. Great joy in His being. So we see the personality of God here. Love envies not. Envy means, like I've just said there, he's not threatened with your joy. Envy means to feel uneasiness, mortification or discontent at the sight of superior excellence, reputation or happiness enjoyed by others. So what does it mean to envy? God envies not. Okay, That means he doesn't feel uneasy or discontent at the sight of superior excellence. Now, there is no superior excellence to God. But should there have been, he wouldn't have been threatened by it. He wouldn't have felt, oh my goodness, you know, there's another God that's higher than me. And, oh. No, that's not... The, the, the reason why God says you shall worship no other gods is not because he's threatened with another God. It's because there is no other God. There is no other God. He wants you to find who He is. He is the only God. And here it says, that, and, and should it have been that there was a higher God, God envies not. So God doesn't have the personality in Him which becomes uneasy at the blessedness of others. He doesn't feel uneasy. You know, the other day I was, I was just in a discussion and while I was discussing uh, uh, um, you know, just we're just talking about this and that. And you know, many times you talk, but you think something else. And I was thinking of of my life and where I am now. And then this thought came to my mind that says, "I wonder when this is going to stop, because it's going well. When is this now going to stop?" And then I felt the Lord spoke to me in my heart. He says, "When are you going to believe?" That I'm only good. Never going to stop. The only thing that can stop this is me removing myself and turning my back on what's freely given to me by refusing to believe that these attributes belong to God and that I am His kind. It says, he doesn't feel uneasy. God doesn't feel uneasy when you are happy. To repine at another's prosperity, to fret or grieve oneself at the real or supposed superiority of another, and then hate him on that account. God's not going to hate you because it goes well with you. I found many people do it. You know, the moment it goes well, then they hate you for no reason. You haven't done anything bad. Just because you, something good has happened, then God does not envy. God is love, and love does not envy. So whenever you think of God, and the personality of God, it can never be categorized in the, in the parameters of, He envies your joy in the sense of, well, if you're happy, He's not happy with it. When the Bible says God is jealous of you, this is what it means. It doesn't mean, um, you know, if I'm jealous of my child, the reason why I'm jealous of my child, and the jealousy mentioned there is, I know that I can care for him the best. That's why. I don't want him to worship another guy, or another father figure. I don't want him to do that, for that person does not have his best interest at heart as I have. I am his father. I'm the one that he's born from. I give my life to him. So it's not, well, you know, that's my child and I'm not going to see that he's happy in any other place. No, no, no. He's my child and I know he will be the happiest with me for I'll die for him. 
But rarely will you find another guy die for my son. But I'll die for him. And that's why God said, because he's this being that is love, that only has got your best interest, your greatest joy at heart, that's why he says, I don't want to worship any other God, for nothing else can give you the joy that I can give you. And we always interpret those things out of, you know, that God was just selfish. He's not. Let's go on. He says, God is kind, he envies not. He doesn't parade himself and he's not puffed up. He doesn't parade himself and the message says he doesn't have a big head. So God doesn't come, you know, I'm God, just look at me. Look how beautiful I am. Come on now, a bit more worship there. Come on, come on, come on people. I need your praises. If you don't praise me, I zap you to death. My goodness, that's not God. Love does not parade itself. Have you, you know when somebody's really arrogant and thinks too much of himself, have you seen how that irritates you? Have you watched Americans Got Talent? America's Got Talent. Some of those judges there just think too much about themselves. <laughs> and I can't wait until the guy just keeps quiet that I can see who's going to sing next. Because this guy's got, his money went to his head. You know, he thinks he's, some of the women think they are just too pretty. You know, they, they parade themselves. It's irritating. God is not like that. He doesn't go around trying to show he's better than others. When God became a human being, he was so normal that the Bible says in Isaiah 53 that, um, you know, that, that he wasn't more beautiful than anybody else. Just a normal guy. Came as a carpenter's son. Okay? Worked with his hands. A normal person. You couldn't distinguish him from other people. Just a normal guy. That's how he, he didn't come and try and parade himself. I'm better. Look at me. Anything like that. He had, he, what made him different to others was that he, most people tried to parade their own holiness, but he tried to bring forth their holiness. And how wonderful they are by serving sinners. My goodness. God, love doesn't parade himself. The personality of God is not a personality that would parade himself. He's not, he's not puffed up. He doesn't have a big head. Does not behave unseemly. Does not seek her own. He's not evilly, easily provoked and thinks no evil. So what does it say here? Doesn't behave unseemly. Unseemly, um, the best way to explain that, Afrikaans word is onvelvoeglik. This is what it means. It means to have an action or to, to, to act in a certain way that's just not normal. Like, for instance, you're not going to break your child's arm to teach him a lesson. God's not like that. He's, he's not going to break your arm to teach you a lesson. He's not going to take away your money to purify you and get you closer to Him. Because if God is not far from us, He's very close to us. We are the same kind. We're his offspring. And if somebody must break my, his kid's arm to teach his kid a lesson, what will I do? I phone the police. And I say, can't we take the child away from those parents? I'll do it. Why? Because that, there's something wrong with that parent. Now, if God's not far from us and he thinks like us, basically, or he doesn't think like us, we think like him. But we thought that these are just selfish thoughts and he's got some thought pattern that's so way outside of us that we don't know how to even think about God. No, if we don't break our kids' arm to teach them something, God will never break yours, for we're not far from each other. We like, we same time. You're not break your business. Perhaps you've been sick for one month. What does God want to show you? I mean, what he's shown me while I was healthy. Just show me his love and his grace and his mercy. He's not going to show me anything else. How does he show it to me? He only shows to me in one way. The resurrected Christ and that resurrected Christ's union with God. In the Godhead. Isn't that awesome? Hallelujah. Imagine you, you go with an injection and you find the someone else's blood that has got some virus in it and you inject your own child and just bring a bit of sickness on him so that he can now 
love you more. That's sick, man. So here we see that he does not behave in a uh, unseemly meaning. He's not going to test you to see as if he, as if you love him. The other day I heard a guy say that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden was the tithe. And then what he was actually saying is to see as if God, if you really love God, you would give your 10%. Okay, that reasoning is not from God as close to us. It's a reasoning from God as some species that's not like us. Because if we do that to our neighbor and our kids, they will leave us. They will run away from us because they will say, that's not my kind. I can't live there. I can't dwell there. Who they are is not who I am. You find people, you know, they, they're in a relationship with each other, you know, and then they break up. Owen and Macy at school, they, they break up. And why do they break up? They say, it's just not my kind. You know, it's not, we're just not the same. We don't fit. Why, why would they say that? Because what that person believes to be true about certain things and how they deal with certain things, you will say, that's not how I think about it and I deal with it. And, and it, we, we can't find enough common ground, so we can't be together. In the very same way with God. It is not enough common ground in the area of how He loves and who He is with humans. We will want to separate from Him. We should know what kind we are and know what kind He is. And the, the best definition of love, He is the very source of it and He is that. Find Him there. Okay? He's not going to test you. I mean... I don't have time to explain the tree of the knowledge of good and evil now. There's all teaching on it. It's an hour teaching to explain how, why the tree was there. But God didn't put that tree there to test man's faithfulness. He didn't. That tree was not about, is man going to be faithful to me? Let's put this tree and see. Now, if I do that, you know, it's like knowing Aubrey cannot leave chocolate. And then I said to him, son, you're not allowed to eat chocolate, huh? And I put the chocolate in the cupboard there and with a point sticking out that he can see it's there. <laughs> and then I test his faithfulness. If I want to test his faithfulness to me by eating, if he's going to eat chocolate or not, he's never going to be faithful. Because he likes chocolate. That's just the way it is. I'm using Aubrey because if I say Eliana, I might be in trouble. <laughs> So, <laughs> so, God's not going to put something there so that you can be unfaithful to Him, so that He can say, what's wrong with you? It's unseemly. Love doesn't act that way. He doesn't seek His own. God is not in this thing. We're not, God didn't make us for that make us put us on the earth just for himself. He doesn't seek his own. He seeks your benefit. That's why he gave dust the opportunity to experience how it feels to be exactly like God. Hallelujah. I want to tell you if you don't enjoy my message, I really enjoy it myself. <laughs> that is a good message. I feel blessed. I feel so loved. One of the most wonderful things about understanding God is you walk around and you really feel loved. You really feel loved. For God loves you. His eyes are upon you all the time. What is man that you will be mindful of man? One of the wonderful questions David had. What is man that your mind is all the time full of? It's like kids with computer games. What is in that game that he thinks of that game all the time? You know, the same. What is man that, man that God thinks of man all the time? And what man is? Man is the only kind that's like God. Man is God's friend. Man is the being created. Man is the God kind. Doesn't the Bible say, and, and please hear what I'm saying, I'm not saying we are God. But the Bible says in the Old Testament, Jesus says to the Pharisees, doesn't your law say that you are God's? Ons is goede man. 
We are gods. We belong to God and we are gods. And He is the Lord of Lords. And He is the King of Kings. Do you understand what I'm saying? We are the God kind. We can't get away from it. Right, let's end off. <clears throat> he does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices with the truth. So, what does it mean if, God, if love does not rejoice with iniquity? Iniquity, the Bible says, is what was found in Satan, you know, before he was kicked out. Now, if you, if you remember my old teachings, I think I must reteach a lot of the stuff I, I taught two and three years ago on um, the, the law and where the whole thing came from and all of that. But this is what iniquity is. Iniquity is the thing inside a person that says, I'm rather, I, I am going to believe that I am what I do. I'm going to define myself by my ability. That is iniquity. Love does not rejoice in you, defining you by what you do. But he rejoices, love rejoices in the truth. What is the truth? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the truth about your life. And I rejoice in the truth about you. The truth, God rejoices in the truth that you are the God kind, that you are righteous before Him because of Jesus Christ, that you are His kind that He seeks to fellowship with, that He, he wants to find you and He wants you to find Him. And He created a platform from where you can be found. And where you can find Him, a platform of absolute innocence, no guilt, no condemnation, meaning guilt there. A platform where you stand on equal ground with Him because of Jesus, where you can meet Him for who He really is. Okay? So He rejoices in that truth. You know, um, imagine the AC Cobra that I talked about was alive. And the car would, would want to find its identity in the scratched paintwork. But I see the chassis number. I will not be happy with that car finding its identity in its situation or in how fast it can drive. I want the car to see the truth. The truth is the ID number. Hallelujah. I will not rejoice if Henry, for instance, wants to find his identity in how fast he runs. No. I can't rejoice in that because it's not the truth about him. There's a greater truth about him. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. God's heart is not happy when we believe we are what we do, but rejoices in the truth. The truth is, the truth about you was revealed in Jesus Christ. The truth about you is seated at the right hand of God in heavens, in the heavens. The Bible says, love thinks no evil. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. God, love, thinks, no. That word evil there doesn't, I'm, I'm not sure if it means full of annoyance. I've, I've studied so many things this week, I don't even know the, what the Greek meaning there is. But God would never think legalistically about you. He will not think bad about you. Love does not do that. If you love your child, can you all the time think of, you know, it's like the kids come, they bring their reports back home. You see, oh, yes, this one mark. It's from the devil. And it can't be from God. But very soon you forget about that. You don't think evil of the child. You, you think the child got that mark. And what do you say then? And this is how I think. I think, this wonderful child, I wonder what bothered him. Or something happened that... You try and look at the situation around to try and find out what troubled him because you know he is not that. Because you've got a different identity when it comes to him. How much more God? Bible says if we, and this is how close God came to us, if we know how to do good to our children, how much more 
will he not do good to us? And I thank God for the good thing he's done for Bertie Brits. That I today can stand here and I can say, I, I truly don't find my identity in where I stay, what I drive, where I live, how pretty my wife is. The, 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 the marks that my kid get at school. I don't find my identity in there. For he's done a good thing to me. I found my true point of reference. God. Hallelujah. And when I look at him, the Bible says we look as in a mirror. And when we see the completeness and the fullness of God, what you see there is reflected in us. What does a mirror do? A mirror reflects something. So when we, and it's difficult to explain the whole thing there in Corinthians, but what it actually says is, when you look at God, you see yourself. That's what it says. Because of Jesus, when we look into the full glory of Jesus, in, of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, it says, that glory in the face of Jesus, we have that treasure in an earthen vessel. Let's believe the truth and be born of the truth. And let's not be foolish and say, well, I wonder, I wonder now about this. Can this be true or not? Confess this Lordship of Christ, man. He is Lord. <laughs> Look at what He's done in His Lordship. Let's confess Him as my Lord. Let's confess that He has brought me to that place where we fell in Adam. He brought us back to that original place and now we can find God. With a true definition of finding God. He thinks no evil and the wonderful thing, I'm not going to go through everything there. It says here, love believes all things. You know, God believes in you, man. Maybe your mother or father or didn't believe in you. School teacher maybe didn't believe in you. But God believes in you. Do you know how it feels to be trusted by God? It's awesome. God believes all things. Um... Hopes all things. He's got a confident, hope means confident expectation of good. God has got a confident expectation of good every day over your life. He endures all things. And the wonderful thing is love never fails. It means it will never end. It's an unending truth. Hallelujah, man. Hallelujah. Let's close our eyes. Father, when we hear this message, we stand amazed at our own frame of how you made us and what kind we are. And thank you that we can awaken unto the truth of how close you came to us. You didn't even come close, you are close to us, for we are your offspring. We're not going to worship idols. We're not going to find our identity in money because we're not the money kind. We're not the idol kind. We're not the, we're not those, those things can never define us. We are the God kind. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And now you are calling men all over the world to repent. To change their mind, to believe a different thing about themselves because of the truth in Christ. And thank you that we can accept you as the one that saved us from the lie, saved us from the, the fruit of the lie, trying to define ourselves by what we do instead of you. We believe in you, Lord. We declare you as our Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we can repent today. We can metanoia, we can change our mind, change of the foundation from where our thoughts are born is changed. We think different about us, ourselves, and every human. We think different about every human, for we see the God kind alive on the earth. And if they can only believe this truth, we will find salvation every man. Thank you, Father, 
that through this you have already empowered us to preach a message to people that is far above what they've ever imagined, yet so true. If you are here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord, and you've only lived in the futility of your mind and the normal, traditional way of belief, I want to tell you today is your opportunity to believe this, as well as what tomorrow will be and the day after. But why not start now and say, Lord, I yield to the truth and I'm not going to live in the lie. I accept that you are the one that saved me from the lie 2,000 years ago and you removed all of death in the cross and replaced me at the place of original design and I accept this truth. You are the one. I believe this. This is your day.